I'm so thankful for Pastor Dave who taught us how to meditate the Word of God in whole images. And he said when you find difficult passages or just something you're trying to understand, it's very important to ask the Holy Spirit's help to back up. He said, Holy Spirit, where does this subject begin? Where, where does this teaching begin? And where does it, then where does it end? So I can meditate the whole image. And if you've never heard Pastor Dave's teaching on that, it's just absolutely the best. It's, it's in several of his, uh, series online. They're all free. Meditation, imagery, and delivery is one of them. I remember assimilation of the word is another one. And I think he has another one with meditation of the word in the title. So I remember doing that years ago because there was a verse in Luke 17 that I, I just did not understand. And that's not the subject of tonight's verse, uh, tonight's message, but I, I didn't understand it. So it, but it was about Luke 17 and about verse 7. I, I, I just didn't make any, 7 or 8, didn't make sense to me. So I did that very thing. I said, Lord, where does this teaching begin? You know, and you're thinking four verses earlier. <laughs> he had me keep backing up. Now, that's Luke 17, first, before verse 10, I know that, or right around there. I said, where does this begin? And I'm thinking a few verses before, you know. No, keep going back. Keep going back. Keep going back. If you're gonna, if you want a nice image to meditate, it starts in Luke 15.1 and goes all the way through Luke 17.10. Two whole chapters and part of another one. And he was exactly right. I never would have gotten it. Never. And, and plus there are so many other things that opened up by leaving all of those verses in context. And tonight, I'm just going to talk about one aspect. You know, the prodigal son has been preached six ways from Sunday. We've meditated it about the prodigal son. We've meditated it from the elder son. Well, quite a few years ago, he had, and he's coming back to that during this season. He's having me meditate it from the father's perspective because, boy, there's a lot to be learned, you know. First of all, um, this is going to mess with a lot of, you know, the Bible messes with a lot of people's religion. <laughs> and I'm talking even Christian <laughs> because it messes with your traditions, you know. See this, uh, this prodigal son, which is a, you know, a son of the father, greatly loved, obviously. He comes and he, he, he wants to go into rebellion. I want, I want to take your, my part of the inheritance, give it to me now. Whatever I want to do with it, you know. Well, meditation number one, Father didn't stop him. So here we go again. Free will. I'll, I'll never forget the first time I heard Dave say, if God was ever going to override a person's free will, he would have slapped Adam down on the way to the tree. And boy, that is an absolute fact. So, from the father's point of view, now, was it the father's will that this prodigal go off into the world? Absolutely not. But he, he didn't stop him. See, that'll mess with a lot of your old adages. Well, if it's God, every door will open. If it's not God, every door will shut. Well, God didn't slam the door shut for him, did he? He chose, he chose what he wanted and he left. Now, did the father stop loving that son because he was in sin? No, he did not stop loving him. But there's a verse in that story that says, 
that the, uh, a famine came. He ran out of money. And the, the son got hungry. Now, I know they didn't have telephone, telegraph, telegram then. But he could have somehow maybe sent message to his father. The point of it is this. There's a verse in there that says, when he was so hungry, it says, and no man gave unto him. And in the margin of my Bible, I wrote, thank God. See, God was not pleased with him going off into the world. God knows everything. God does not enable you to stay out there either. Many parents prolong the agony by enabling their children to continue in sin. God didn't do that. God didn't do that. Okay, I'm going to go on a little more here now. Just And there's many more things. I'm just touching on some things from meditation. See, when this, it says that the finally, and because, see, I, there's a phrase that I coined from there that's really good. Hunger is a great motivator. <laughs> and another one. Sometimes people have to hit bottom before they'll repent. Sometimes, like this one, they got to hit bottom and bounce a couple of times. Because <laughs> it got so bad. I mean, this doesn't get much worse for a Jewish boy. He was feeding pigs in the first place, and now he's so hungry, he's actually thinking of putting his face in the trough with the pigs and eating their food. Now, that's... That's hitting bottom and bouncing a time or two. That's about as low as it gets. But see, God didn't stop him. God didn't enable him. Now, here's another thing, too, because oftentimes, rebellious, they want to come back all right, not because they're wanting to repent. They're wanting your help. So they want to come back with their sin. And uh, one thing you'll notice, that boy had to leave the pig trough. He had to leave the harlots. He didn't come back. He wasn't walking down the trail back to the father's house with his arm around two harlots and whatever kind of sin he was involved in. You have to repent. You do have to repent. See, and right now I'm seeing my daughter Amanda's eyes that time I visited her in the jail. Most of you have heard that story. If you haven't heard it, I don't know. Um, she made a mistake, wound up in jail. And it was during a time... Uh, all three of my daughters rebelled at the same time. Angie's here. She always says she rebelled the least. I think that's true. <laughs> Amanda probably rebelled the most. I think that's true. And uh, anyway, she got caught on something and wound up in jail and, of course, wanted me to get her out. And I'm telling you, Amanda's my youngest, by the way. She's my youngest. Can hardly tell the story, the emotion from then. <clears throat> and I went to see her in that, that jail... In Jay, Oklahoma, where they had her, is about a hundred years old. It's an old building, and they, the jail part is in the basement. And there's little slit windows just right above ground. That's the only light, really, of the world that comes in, other than the fluorescent. She slept on uh, these uh, metal bunks that, during the day, you fold them up against the wall. Uh, they're hinged on the wall, and then they let down, you know. And uh, she she ate so much macaroni during that stay in prison that for 10 years she couldn't eat macaroni. <laughs> she does now, but she didn't for a long time. But I still remember her the first time that I went to visit her. 
I could have got her out pretty easy. It wasn't that much money to get her out on bail. I think it was $2,000 or something. We could have got it together. And I, everything in my humanity, everything as a father, wanted to get her out. And I was talking with her. And, of course, her eyes, you know, there's tears. And it looks like, it looks like, well, let's not even look like it. Really, it's the words she was saying are all the right words. But the Lord kept telling me, look at her eyes. There was not repentance in her eyes. There was sorrow for being caught. Sorrow for being in the circumstances. But at that moment, and he told me I I couldn't take her. I couldn't get her out. Now, I did go have a talk with the sheriff there. And I I told him the situation that it was in. I, I got him to commit to me that... He would be, he would take her under his wing in the sense nothing bad was going to happen to her. You understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> I said, you keep a watch on my daughter now, or you and I are going to have trouble. And so, anyway, he had, he had children of his own. He was sympathetic. Now, I don't know that I've had a, I, yeah, I probably have, but that was a very difficult day to drive away from that jail, Jay, Oklahoma, and leave my daughter there. I can't remember now. I think it was 30 days or so because I was still driving trucks. I couldn't go visit her. They'd only let you go see her once a week anyway, and a lot of times I was gone on that day. And, but anyway, I saw her again. I think it was about 30 days later because we kept praying for her. See, you know, again, we're talking about a father's heart. Really what we're coming around to is the, fa- the father's heart during the whole story of the prodigal. And this is part of it. My love for that girl never changed I wanted her out of there I wanted her fixed up repented living the life that I knew she was destined to live you got to obey God above everything else you know 30 days later because we kept praying for her when I saw her the next time however long that was she was a different girl you could see it in her eyes. She somehow, God had got it across to her. My way is not working for me. <laughs> These decisions I've been making are not the right decisions. I have been wrong. And so then we were able to get her out, you know, get her out of the prison. Now, God worked a miracle. See, we want things turned around in two days. This whole ordeal from that point till the time that it was over was about two years, if I remember right. Now, of course, we got her a lawyer. I wanted John Wayne. God sent Wally Cox. For the, I said, no, this can't be God. No, this can't be your choice. But it was, and he was really the guy. He was the one because he did. He got something accomplished in Mays County, Oklahoma, that in history had never been happened, never had happened before. But it had tried. The only hope for her because she was facing a twelve-year sentence. And and the guy she did it with, he got 12 years. Okay. And he got out early for good behavior, but she's facing 12 years because she was right close to her 18th birthday when all that happened. It was, she was 17, but just within a year. And so what, what got accomplished, and I'm not trying to, I, people haven't heard this story, you know. So anyway, he got her recertified as a juvenile. 
which had been tried many, many, many times and had never, never been accomplished. She is the first one in Mays County, Oklahoma, to ever have that happen. To the point, they expunged her records as a, ju- as a juvenile. So there's no re- she has no record. As an, you know, praise God. Well, that girl, she turned around. She never went back into that kind of trouble again. She was the first one, if I remember right, to start working for the ministry over at the old ugly building. We had electricity by then over there, and I had some tape duplicators, and she'd go over there by herself for hours a day just duplicating tapes, praying in tongues, you know. Wind up being a good wife, good mother, loves the Lord. Now, I'm saying all that because I can relate from a father's heart to some degree. I knew I couldn't get her out until there was real repentance. She had to make some decisions. See, I'm thinking about the father's heart for that boy of his, that prodigal every day. See, and really, we could could go all the way back to the garden. That's really what it's illustrating all the way back when Adam chose Satan's word over God's word. And... Even before the foundation of the world, God knew all that was going to happen, said Jesus Christ and him crucified before the foundation of the world, so God knew it. But you think about the Father's heart, because in Genesis, for a while, we don't know how long, it says everything he made was perfect, it was very good. He made Adam and Eve, and he enjoyed the fellowship daily in the cool of the day. Now that's what he, that's what the father always wanted. He always, that's, that was the plan. I want to create people in my image and we want to have fellowship. And he would walk and talk with them in the cool of the day. Boy, I like that. Well, because of the fall, that all got messed up. But see, it never changed the father's heart of love towards his people. I've tried to meditate God. <laughs> Now, again, your brain starts leaking out your left ear. You try to separate. God is one, right? There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. His presence was behind the veil. God's, this whole plan is to eventually, so that His people can come back into His presence. Isn't that right? The whole plan of redemption is to restore us back. From the father's point of view, prodigal, come home, right? Come in, let's, and fellowship, because it was great rejoicing. We know what happened. See, the prodigal son story tells, tells the plan. It tells the mission. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. It tells the, the end result. But in the prodigal son story, it doesn't tell the price. You remember when Dave would belabor the point about God, God's nine immutable attributes? And I can't repeat them like Dave did. He had it memorized. Boy, he could do it good. But one of the attributes is God can't change. And neither can he be changed. I used to think about that. Because, see, for God to change, he would have to either get better. How I many knows he can't get better? He, he is better. He's the ultimate better. <laughs> he would have to either get better or he'd have to get worse. And God's not going to do either one. So God can't change. Then Dave would say, well, he is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. But see, also one of his attributes is justice. He can't just 
wink at sin. He can't just wink. So God, in his infinite wisdom to restore all of us prodigals back, because he loved us so much, he had to come up with a way where justice, where he, he didn't have to change. Justice could be satisfied, yet the guilty be restored. <laughs> Who else but God could think of becoming a man? Becoming in the form of a man, his son, coming in the form of a man, living a perfect life, and then yielding up that life. I mean, again, I watched The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson right before Easter, and they did their best. They did a pretty good, pretty good job, probably, as good as ever has been done on film anyway. But having been through the scourging post lessons that the Lord taught us a few years ago, it was way worse than that. But even this, I'm watching it, and tears, you just can't watch it. When you think about, what, why is he doing that? I mean, every lash, it just, the, they did a, oh, you shiver from the pain. Why, and the, the question, why? This innocent person who never did a thing wrong at all. Why? It's so the prodigal can come home. The price had to be paid. The prodigal story tells us about seeking and saving the lost, but it doesn't tell the price. You have to go to the cross to find out the price. So I've meditated that from the the prodigal son story, from the father's point of view. But the price was paid. And the boy could come back. But notice it had to be the it had to be the son's choice. The father loved him the whole time. Obviously, a way was made for him to come back. It's not told in that story, but it's told in other parts of the gospel about the price. So a way, see, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus provided the way. It's the only way. It's through the blood. And here comes Yes, sir. Because what I'm really meditating on is us going into his presence right now. See, from, from the father's point of view, this whole thing was so the prodigal could not only return, but the prodigal could be in the father's presence. And obviously, if you read the story, the father was overjoyed. He was overjoyed. Be merry, call everybody. This my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Put the robe upon him. Put the sandals on his feet. Put my signet ring back on him. This my son in fellowship, fellowship. And the father is so happy. And I'm thinking, because I'm right now myself personally, I, you, you know, I'm, I'm on this quest <laughs> to seek Ask and knock to actually get into the Father's presence. But when I turn it around on the other side, see, part of, I don't know what it is, part of me is reluctant still. But the Father, when I meditate it from His side and couple it up with the prodigal son, He's going, please come. There's friendly eyes looking back at me. <laughs> There's friendly eyes from behind that holy of the curtain that's not even there anymore. And every time I come into his presence, whether I feel it or whether I don't, what I'm talking about, 
I was going into worship, whether it's dry as cracker juice, whether I feel, I don't want to go back to, well, I'm saved if I feel like I'm saved. I know that's not true. But I'm telling you, there is, uh, Dave would say, this is the most addictive thing you'll ever do. When you actually get into his presence. Bronx says the same thing. He, he, he was into it along for, he said, it's the most addictive thing. You gotta be careful because you don't want to, you don't want to do anything else. <laughs> But meditating it from the father's point of view, nobody was happier in that house than the father was. He was overjoyed. See, and this is Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, Christ, he endured the cross, suffered the pain, but he endured it. Why? For the joy. And it wasn't, you know, again, it's the joy of the father, really. But again, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are all one God. (laughs) But it's for the joy, the restoration. God is not trying to keep us out of the Holy of Holies. He's doing everything He can to get us in there. And that's why it says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us enter into the holiest by this new and living way, by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I just want to recommend to you the Father. Man, he's, he's looking back at you. You're, he's, you know, like, oh, I'll just use Gary. Gary's trying to approach the throne. And I'm, I'm bowing, I'm shakaing, excuse me, shaka. Gotta have phlegm in there to make it Hebrew. Shaka. <laughs> I'm bowing. I'm humbling myself, humbling myself. Yeah, but it's, it's, you know, it's dry as cracker juice for 90% of the time right now. But every now and then. Every now and then, there's a, I want to call it a crumb of fellowship, a crumb of touch. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'll know more about it later. But I'm telling you, I said, yes, sir. I'll tell this now. I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm done. I was, uh, driving, not here. I was driving down 33rd West Avenue from my house, going somewhere the other day, just something normal. And I didn't get, I just turned out of our neighborhood and headed south on 33rd West Avenue and within half a block, he was there. It was just a touch. I wasn't praying or anything. I was just, it came out of, can I say out of nowhere? But it was like, oh, how do you describe what that is, people? I don't know how you describe that. Him. <laughs> I was one hand on the wheel, one hand went up. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. And it didn't last 15 seconds. I said, Father, I, I would die to live there. He said, well, you can live there. Just There's been a few crumbs like that, a few more. I feel like the, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from there. <laughs> I'm not a dog. I'm not a dog. Well, I want, I want more of those crumbs. I'd like a slice of that cake, please. You know, Can I have a slice of that cake? All right. Well, really, that's all I, I think that's it. All I know is to tell you, keep pressing into his presence. The, the father is looking forward to your presence. This is what he's trying to get across to me right now. The father is looking forward more to me being in his presence than I'm looking forward to being in his presence. So Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. The door will be open. And he's going to receive us. 
And I know as we spend time in His presence, His presence gets in us. And we don't leave the same people that we were before. And that's how the bread is delivered. We carry the bread inside. All right. Hallelujah.